Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskan. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 12th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The HSE is bracing itself for the possibility that 17,000 people could be hospitalised this winter because of COVID alone. Another 4,350 people could end up in hospital because of the flu. If this does happen, 700 people could end up in ICU with COVID and 225 with flu. I believe it will be a very challenging winter. Um, experience uh, across the world is showing that with the combination of a flu and influenza um, and COVID-19 or um, new ways of COVID-19 and potential variants of COVID-19, it could be a very difficult winter indeed. In fact, COVID numbers are already increasing, which places real strains on our hospitals and our nursing homes. It results in delayed discharges increasing from hospitals. It impacts on the flow through hospitals and the backup and people have been under real pressure in the emergency departments. So... The Taoiseach told the Dáil that government has signed off on an additional €169 million Euro in funding this year for the HSE as it prepares for the challenging winter ahead. Actually, we have started preparing for the winter now back in 2020 when we put €600 million in, 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 into the winter initiative on that occasion, um, which was to give full-time posts right through 21 and 22 this year. Uh, and that was a 460 odd million going into this winter initiative uh, to increase beds and to get community and, and primary care services in place. That's uh, Michal Martin responding uh, to uh, Sinn Féin TD for Waterford, David Cullinan, who's his party spokesperson on health. And uh, a very good morning to you, David Cullinan, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You were asking if the preparations for this winter were being laid too late and should have been put in place last year. The Taoiseach saying that last year £600 million went into the winter initiative and this 169 is on top of that. Uh, it sounds like an awful lot of money to most of us. 
Well, that's not what he said, and that's not what happened. <clears throat> what he actually said was that the, that six hundred million uh, was put in place in twenty twenty, which he's right. So that's all of the additional funding that was put in place for budget twenty twenty one and budget twenty twenty two. And the 169 million euro that was announced yesterday is not new funding or additional funding. It's in, in large part funding that was already put in place going back to 2020 in terms of beds and staff and other uh, um, measures that were simply not implemented. So, for example, there's 177 beds which are currently funded, over 100 of which go back to an announcement that was made in the budget in 2020, which have not been delivered and we have still thousands of staff that were funded last year, which are carrying over to this year. So all of the measures that were announced yesterday are already funded. There's no new money for this plan. The problem with the plan is that you can't magic up beds over the course of the next number of weeks, and you can't magic up staff. And the problem is that we have these winter plans, which are a repackaging of measures which were announced over a number of years, and then dressing them up as new measures, which is... Uh, not going to work. It doesn't instill confidence, I have to say, for, for healthcare professionals who know that this isn't additional capacity or additional funding. And the problem is that in last year's winter plan, they announced an additional 72 beds, not one of which was opened, and all have to be carried over on, uh, uh, for 2023 because they don't have the capacity to deliver them. So there's no point having these plans, Michael, and saying that we're going to have all of this money, we're going to have mm. all of these additional beds if you then can't deliver and what hospitals need is more hospital beds, absolutely, in some hospitals. We know that's the case. Uh, I welcome the fact that the Minister is saying that there will be 50 uh, consultants uh, that will be employed to work in emergency departments. But it takes over 500 days on average to recruit consultants. And while the Minister did say in his press conference launching this uh, plan that he will try and speed up that process, it's not going to happen in a matter of weeks or months and any consultant I talk to will say it's not going to happen over the winter. There's already 350 vacant consultant posts because we don't have a new contract agreed and there are still pay issues which have not been resolved. So I don't see how the Minister is going to be able to, mm. to recruit the staff which are needed, which is why I have a concern in relation to a lot of what's in this plan. And then the other element of it is it doesn't look in detail, and I think that's the big mistake, on what's happening outside of acute hospitals and why we have so many presentations. And, and yes, COVID is going to be difficult. And yes, the flu will be difficult and we'll add to the presentations in hospitals undoubtedly. But we also have people who attend emergency departments because they can't get access to a GP, uh, out of our services especially, uh, but also uh, patients with uh, chronic conditions that should be treated in the community. Uh, people who can be discharged, for example, from hospitals into recovery beds, but cannot be because we don't have enough recovery beds. I would have wanted to see much more investment in those areas. And that's one of the better ways, in my view, to take pressure away from our acute hospitals. So, yes, hospitals need more capacity, absolutely. But we also need to understand the causes of, of hospital overcrowding, why we have so many presentations, and how can we uh, make sure mm. that more people can avoid going to hospitals by providing the care in the home and in the community and having more GPs. None of that's in the plan. And I think like last year's plan, we had a big announcement last year. We had a big announcement the year before. Uh, we had a, a waiting list strategy that was announced by the, the, the minister last year. What happened? Uh, it's fallen behind by about 60,000 patients already. Waiting lists have grown since the minister announced the plan where he promised to cut waiting lists. Uh, the average wait time in emergency departments so far this year has been half a day, 12 hours across all of our emergency departments. And we have 
1.2 million people on some form of health waiting list. So none of that's going to be fixed by a short-term plan. Uh, that's uh, a repackaging of existing measures and funding. Uh, and I think anyone right. that looks at the actual detail of this will see it for what it is. So You're I, not I, the I only one who's concerned. Uh, the Irish Hospital Consultants Association said they're gravely concerned uh, that uh, there's not a, enough in this to tackle some of the existing problems uh, that you've already highlighted there. And when it comes to capacity, uh, the INMO, the nurses and midwives, have said that it's futile talking about capacity if you don't have the staff to man the beds. That's if the beds are realised, uh, which uh, you're questioning uh, in itself. But when you go back to that six hundred million uh, that was allocated in twenty twenty, if there's a, a delay in spending that money, five hundred days in recruiting consultants, for example, uh, will that money not start to be seen now? Will we not see these consultants come online? Well, obviously, any additional funding is welcome, uh, but this is funding over a number of years. And bear in mind, when that funding was announced, all of that was to be delivered in one year and uh, they weren't able to do it. So for me, this comes down to planning and having the ability to be able to follow through on plans. So there is no silver bullet. There's no magic solution to any of the problems in healthcare, Michael. And I'm not going to pretend that there are. But we do need to have uh, a very serious conversation about workforce planning in healthcare. We're not training enough healthcare professionals, and that's why in Sinn Féin's alternative budget, I provided for the most comprehensive package where I did a lot of work engaging with training bodies and representative bodies of staff and healthcare professionals to look at how do we increase training places. And we provided for 1,500 uh, new graduate and undergraduate positions and a 10% increase in specialist training for doctors. That would have to be done every year for a full term in government, to be honest, to, to get the capacity. So we need a greater pipeline of graduates coming through because the point is you can make big announcements about beds and about staff. Mm. We've seen over the last number of years the HSC wasn't able to deliver simply because they can't recruit the staff. And equally, if we keep focusing on only the acute hospitals when it comes to waiting lists and when it comes to uh, emergency departments, and as I said, if we don't focus on what's actually driving those waiting lists and driving the wait times in emergency departments and look at community care and look at GP capacity, then again we're going to fail. There's nothing in this plan Mm. to increase GP capacity, not one additional training place. Um, And that's the problem. We don't have enough GPs, and primary care, in my view, is crucial, and GPs are crucial, as are community settings where the logic of Shalonda Care was that, you know, right care, right place, right time, uh, people being cared for in the home. We have no statutory home care scheme that was promised, um, and we don't have enough Uh, community intervention teams to be able to properly cater for people in the community who have a chronic illness rather than having to go to an emergency department. That's what I mean about being smarter about how we approach it and actually genuinely understanding the causes of what uh, of what's causing the delays in our hospitals in the first place. Okay, but talk to me about the acute hospitals and the emergency departments, if you would, because apparently there's 29 emergency departments in the country and each of them are to be given an individual plan for planning for this winter ahead. Are you surprised by that? I thought we were going to lose one of them. Well, yes, and that's, that is a surprise, but it's, it's actually a welcome one because obviously, uh, one, I, I welcome the fact that there will be a plan uh, for, for all of the hospitals, including Navin, so that, that is to be welcomed. But equally, I think it does make sense to have a plan for each individual hospital because every hospital is different. Sometimes the profile of the patients is different. So when you talk to the management of Limerick Hospital, 
they say that the, the age profile of, of their patients is a lot older than we're seeing in other hospitals in Dublin, for example. So there are variations. There are some hospitals who have actually done very well. So Loud, for example, in, in your own area, has done very well in managing what's happening in emergency departments. It's not to say that there are still some problems. If there is, but they certainly have made huge inroads into dealing with uh, the numbers of patients in hospital trolleys. The same in Waterford, in my own constituency, in Tala Hospital in Dublin, and in many more. So I think we, we should be looking at best practice and looking at how they, they better stream patients, how they use their front-to-shop, for example, the uh, the emergency departments and how they use the staff to better triage patients and to get patients through quicker. But also I think the hospitals that actually do it better are hospitals that have very good relationships with community services so that there's a clear link between the community capacity, the step-down beds, recovery beds, mm. and that very quickly and rapidly those managers and, and the, 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 the uh, senior nurses can discharge okay. patients into the community. But I the HSE obviously is planning to keep the emergency department in Navan open through the winter and it's going to prepare for that by drawing up a, a plan that the local management will be asked to implement. Uh, would you expect that that would mean building up the hospital in some way? Uh, and if that's not the case and a life is lost in Navan because Our Lady's Hospital is not equipped to deal with certain cases... Uh, Will you have questions for the Minister? Because this is what the local management have been telling Stephen Donnelly since November of 2020. Uh, Indeed, a number of close calls have been highlighted in writing to the Minister. Well, I think the Minister needs to make a decision on Navin Hospital, uh, and that hasn't happened. We know that there are a number of consultants, obviously, Mm. in the hospital and the HSE itself. But because he hasn't made the decision, this is the point, because he hasn't made the decision the danger continues, the risk yes. continues and the local management and consultants are saying it is inevitable that somebody will die unnecessarily because the hospital isn't equipped to deal with certain I conditions. I think where there is agreement. That, and the minister has been told of how that's almost happened but patients somehow managed to survive. Well I think Michael where there is agreement right across the board is that the service in Navin is unsafe and yeah. I've always said that but most emergency departments unfortunately are operating at unsafe levels if you look at the length of time that people are waiting and there was a HICWA report. Okay but the red flag that's being flown here is somewhat different and my question to you is just to repeat it if a life is lost over yeah, this winter because Navin is not equipped to deal with certain cases will there be questions for the Minister because he's been warned of yes, that since yes, November of 2020? Yes, is a short answer. There are two options for the Minister. One, to acquiesce to the HSE's request to close the emergency department, which I don't want them to do. The second is to make a decision to keep it open and build up capacity. So he has to make a decision as to what he would do. If I was in his shoes, I've said this already, mm. I want to protect capacity in emergency departments. I don't want an unsafe service. Um, and I would look at ways to make the, the service in Navin. What do you think of him waiting two years? Say that again. What do you think of him waiting two years? Uh, I mean, it's November 2020 since the minister was warned and it's quite probable that it'll be March or April before any decision is made. Well, I think it's irresponsible for the minister not to have made a decision and I think it's irresponsible that this has dragged on for so long. My point is a decision has to be made one way or the other. So we know what the HSE wants. Uh, it's unclear at this point what the minister wants. He has sought a report on what additional capacity could be put into other hospitals. My point is that there are simply two options. Well, there are three. You can keep it as it is, which obviously isn't an option because it's unsafe. So the other two options are 
you build up capacity in Navin, which is what I would like to see happen, or that you close the service, which is obviously what the HSE wants. I don't want to see that happen. The problem is there's too much uncertainty. We don't know what the minister is going to do. As you said, this is dragging on for actually longer than two years. Yes, but this minister is two years, but this is an issue that has been going on for a long number of years. So a decision needs to be made. I would prefer if the decision was to increase capacity, make it safe. Uh, But I would share your concern that because this is dragged on and because decisions are not being made, uh, we are continuing with an unsafe service in a hospital. And I think that's uh, irresponsible to say the least. All right. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. David Cullinan is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health. Michael Michael Reed Reed on LMFM. Now, 50% of women feel vulnerable uh, to crime outdoors. 19% of women are worried about being physically attacked by a stranger. 18% of women are worried about being mugged. And it is part of a survey from uh, the Department of Justice, uh, which has found that women are living in a a very different world uh, than men, because while men have concerns, certainly not as many men uh, to the same extent as women, uh, with uh, one fifth of women being worried about being attacked by a stranger. Let's speak uh, to Fianna Fáil Senator Erin McGreehan. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. I'm sure this survey from the department is welcome. Any surprises in it for you? Well, personally, it, it absolutely is welcome, Michael, and it's really important. I think it's, it goes on the theme of, you know, after the government published the zero tolerance strategy to tackle domestic, sexual and gender-based violence, all this money is and funding and policy is going towards, you know, finding out where the weak spots are where people feel vulnerable and how people feel vulnerable. And to me, I've spoken to you several occasions, um, I'm not surprised that 50% of women, you know, feel vulnerable. Um, and, you know, that, that goes to, to obvious physiological, you know, differences between men and women. You know, me personally, I would, you know, speaking for myself, I'm smaller. I'm not strong, not as strong. Um, and being a woman, obviously, if you, feel, you feel like a, a vulnerable target. Um, you know, someone who who is inclined to mug you or rob you on a street, they're not going to attack uh, a big man um, as quick as they attack um, a small woman. And that's just a, a physical um, disadvantage that most women have. Um, and I think it, it is, it's important that, you know, those figures are highlighted. We all know and feel that, you know, day to day. Um, but it's it's in it's in research now, mm. and the department have that have that to work on. I think department, you know, they knew they knew the data, but now they have it in fact. And, and so, so what what does it tell us in terms of uh, bringing a, about a, an end to it? None of us uh, should be afraid by walking outdoors. Uh, so, uh, do you uh, convict people, lock them up, and throw away the key forever? Uh, if they're guilty of uh, that sort of uh, behaviour, or do you have more guards to stop them from attacking people? Yes, yeah, so for me, all with Michael, prevention is better than cure, and all prevention of crime is far better. Um, and you know, in the in the in the report, it says you know more more CCT cameras, more public lighting, tougher sentences, visible guard presence, um, and and also a zero tolerance attitude by society. Um, so in the budget there. Two or three weeks ago, we had um, funding for you know, up to 1,000 new guard tra- trainees, you know, further investment in resources, 
extra staffing in Gardaí, non-Gardaí staff to help this. And, you know, a nine million euro Mm. increase in, you know, for to tackle domestic sexual and gender-based violence. Um, is it happening though or is it like the hospital beds because uh, the year previous there were 800 guards promised and I think 8 were delivered well you know last year there was 11,000 people applied to join Garda Shikona um, and we're building the capacity within the system you know there will be a guarantee of 200 mm. new recruits every 3 months over the coming years and like, again that is you know that is progress you know we we, we we want to see we want to see more guardy um, and eleven thousand people applying to join the force. Mm. You know, do, do, do we though? Yeah, I mean, is that uh, the answer? Do we want to see more Gardaí? I'd like to see less Gardaí. I'd like to see less of a need for Gardaí. And uh, I hate to think that we keep recruiting up to a point where it becomes a police state. Well, I don't think. Well, so for me, um, I would if I was walking down the street and I saw a Gardaí car, I'd feel a lot safer. And um, I, I, I personally have nothing to fear from guards, and um, they're there for my protection. No, and I know, no but I, I, I wish there wasn't the need for that protection. Is oh, the point absolutely, Michael, and, and yeah. we, and, and absolutely, we all would love to live in a world where crime is gone because it's a, it's immoral, it's wrong, and it's a wrong thing to do. But unfortunately, we live in a world that people commit crimes, um, and a, and a big way of to, to deter crimes is Gardaí being present and and being visible um, and we all know that and I know you know from, from you know yourself when you, you stop at a checkpoint you're always paranoid whether you've got your tax and insurance even though you know you've got your tax and insurance there is a deterrent of crime when we know that Gardaí are around and I personally feel safer um, when there is Gardaí around I feel safer when I see the Garda car going up the road and um, past my home it's it is a deterrent of crime. And, you know, whether we like it or not, which we don't like it, um, we need more Gardaí. Um, and I see Carningford there, you know, locally, um, we only have two Gardaí a, a lot of the time on it for, to police the entire peninsula. You know, that's, that's not, that's not um, it's not safe for our guards and it's not safe for our people. Mm. Um, and it doesn't, give, it doesn't provide a, an, a, an adequate service to the people of North Lyme, that's only one area in the county and it's, it, I'm sure it's replicated all around. So I think it's about, you know, prevention of crime, but also about, as I said, a zero tolerance on sexual crime and assault in society. And that, you know, when we see low, low, low sentences and um, when, when, when yeah. a sentence isn't a deterrent okay, so, crime, I so, think we, so, we, so, we so, so, worked on too. So, so talk through that. Uh, what should happen if you attack somebody? Well, um, well, if you attack someone, I think there needs to be tougher sentences. Mm, you know, but but what does that mean, though? Uh, and this is coming back to the question, like, to you, you know, you, you, you have a couple of ways of, of doing this, uh, I suppose, uh, in terms of uh, judicial response, uh, and that is to put more guards on the street or to lock people up for longer periods of time. Uh, so if you attack somebody, how long should you spend in prison? Well, depending on it, there's a there's a sliding scale, you know, uh, there's a lot of different types of assault, Michael. Mm. But I think there is need a need for tougher sentences, and we see there is going, there is a there is a a, a move towards 
a tougher sentencing of crimes and there's lots of different reasons um, for uh, a suspended sentences and, and I'm not mm. sure I'm not a sentencing expert, expert but I think we need to look at these things and build and, more and prisons though if, if needed if needed Michael but I'm not sure I'm not I, I'm, I'm not I'm not advocating that we lock everyone up what I'm saying is that we need to create an environment where prevention, where crime is prevented, mm. and that is my, that is my, um, you know, first and foremost place to be. It's not about we need to prevent preventing crime. Mm. We need to make people feel safer by what I by what, what I was saying. More CCTV cameras, more like public yeah. lighting. Is it possible? But, yeah, but no. when it comes to sentencing and that sort of thing, it is possible that you can make things worse. I mean, we had Yunflus throwing bus, uh, stones at buses uh, a few weeks ago in Kilcern and people were texting in and saying, lock them up and that sort of thing. But uh, you could quite possibly uh, be uh, putting those kids on a, a path to a life of crime if you do that sort of thing. Surely there's other things that can be done and we've talked about it before of course uh, and uh, getting into the mindset of young people and nurturing a, a different mindset in terms of respect for other people. Absolutely Michael and you know in the in the budget recently there was a youth justice funding um, increased by 2.5 million to 24 million to divert young people from crime. And I know there is excellent Gardaí, particularly, and I, I know them in Dundalk and the youth and the, and the, the, the justice um, liaison officers, they are excellent at what they're doing. They're, you know, seeing, seeing a young person, they're seeing, you know, they might have, you know, done something very silly, something very naive, like, as you say there, that use example of throwing stones at buses. They're not seeing the impact or the societal impact or the possibility of what that could lead to. Mm. The GLOs, they work on with these young people. They show them that there is another way. And absolutely, that for me is another example of prevention. I would not be locking up those young, young people for throwing stones at buses. I would be bringing them in under the wing of the Gardaí, of society, looking at, you know, how can we help them? Because mm. that's a failure um, on, on us all. But those young people are expressing themselves to throwing it the buses. So I think that there it, the youth justice funding is where that money should be going and to look after and to protect those young young people from moving into more serious crime um, in a lifetime and that circle of crime and, and that circle of, of you know, mm. penal of penal justice as you, as, as you quite um, likely say. Yeah, we're very uh, <laughs> straightforward in your response at the start about uh, why women are more vulnerable to attack uh, because they're not as strong and they're smaller and all of that. And it, it paints a picture, to me at least, of cowardly men attacking women uh, because they're not taking on the big men because the women are easier to uh, win if they fight back, if you like. Should an attack or an assault on a woman be treated differently than an attack or an assault on a man? I don't think so, Michael. I don't think so. Oh, okay. um, mm. No, I don't. I, don't I, I genuinely don't. I don't think so. Mm. Um, if if a if a small man was attacked, um, and a, and a, a woman equally equal, they're equal the size. Mm. I don't think there should be a different penalty for 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 you know men and women. Absolutely not. Um, an assault on a person on their individual is serious, and um, whatever the type of crime, whatever the type, whatever gender you are. That is, a, that is a crime, an equal crime. The fact is that probably more women are attacked because of their size, but that's not that's just a, that's just the fact that you know, as you say, the big brave guy um, hmm. attacking a woman because it's easier. 
mm. and that's and that's it. Um, I don't I don't believe it should be a tougher okay. sentence for, for for men versus women. Absolutely not. All right. Uh, you mentioned the budget, by the way, a, a couple of times. Uh, can I just ask you about what was the big banana skin in uh, the budget and the concrete levy, uh, which uh, will of course lead to an increase in the price of housing? Uh, apparently, a, a number of TDs and senators met with uh, the minister Darrow O'Brien uh, and have reported that the levy is dead and it won't be implemented uh, because of the backlash. Uh, were you at that meeting? I wasn't at the meeting, but I, I, I couldn't attend yesterday due to prior commitments. But at the parliamentary party meeting last week and, and prior to the parliamentary party meeting, I've been in contact with a lot, lots of workers in, in County Loud um, and businesses in County Loud who deal in and, and create um, concrete, concrete um, products. Um, and I think that, as I said at the parliamentary party meeting, that this was definitely a banana skin, but also it wasn't a clean levy. If it, a clean levy to me doesn't create market distortions, doesn't create um, a, a, a scenario where we can't, we, we can't, you know, uh, lo, lo, just for example, if you're making a concrete slab, you know, the precast moulds, where do you put the levy on that? Do you put it on the overall block or the overall product or the just in the concrete? Yeah. It's too hard to well, believe. Everything, everything's got worse under, everything's got worse since Darrow O'Brien became minister. Uh, rents are higher, price of houses are higher, more people homeless than ever before and so on. Uh, it was about to get worse uh, because of this levy. Uh, has he seen the error of his ways? Uh, is it right to say that this levy is dead in the water? Well, Darrell O'Brien wasn't responsible for the levy, and I have to say there was a Department of Finance situation that was that put in this levy. Um, it wasn't Darrell O'Brien that would have been would have been pushing for this. Absolutely not. And the thing is, we highlighted at the parliamentary party meeting last week, and a number of my colleagues spoke and, and I spoke on it along with myself. This levy was going to be the biggest customer and, and payer of this levy was going to be the state. We have the largest ever budget for house building ever given in the history of the state, over 400 million. Um, and it was really going to be the government that was going to pay. I and mean, you think about the MICA in mm. Donegal, the government are paying to rebuild those houses. Is the levy gone? It was the government that was going to be paying that levy. It was a levy that wasn't thought out by the Department of Finance. Mm. Would you expect the levy to be... Wrong. Would you f- f- expect the levy to be forgotten about? Absolutely, and Fianna Fáil have worked hard to make sure there was a block and um, it could be forgotten about. And um, we have, from the very moment that it was uttered in the in the um, in the um, in the chamber on that shoot on the on budget day, we have like we were we were cele- we were celebrating the many issues of the of the of budget. We were like, this is intolerable. We can't work with this. Um, and and as I said. Border economies. Okay. Border and it's and not. It, you know, you're it, going to it, go north for your blocks. It, you're not it's, going to go it, it's gone. It's buried. Uh, it's uh, old news. It's forgotten that's about. The, that's, uh, and, that's the word uh, I'm it, getting. It, like, it, it wasn't Darren O'Brien's. Uh, Darren O'Brien's fault. It, it was Pascal Donoghue's fault. It was a Fine Gael. Well, it, well, it wasn't. The, it, it wasn't. Was, it didn't come from the Department of Local Government. Okay, but you're saying it was Fine Gael, not Fianna Fáil, and Fianna Fáil have put it right. Is it? Well, we, we worked to put it right. We also, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a Fine Gael. It was a Department of Finance le- levy to be able to, you know, claw back mm. some money. It wasn't thought out properly, and it was, it, it didn't take into consideration um, the, the severe market distortions that it could create. Okay. I think that after time, I think the finance bill will rectify 
uh, rectify the, the issues that are involved in it. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, on the programme uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil Senator Erin McGreen. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. We heard yesterday of uh, a book of uh, condolence uh, for uh, the people of Creaselaw opening in uh, County Meath uh, and County Loud has uh, followed suit. Let's uh, speak uh, to the Cahirlock of Loud County Council, Conor Keelan. Uh, a very good morning to you, Conor. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, uh, how can people go uh, about expressing their sympathy? Well, it's a... Uh it's it's an online book um, of condolences in loud, so anyone can uh, uh, log on to the to the main page, and um, there's a following there's a link there, and they can um, express their sympathies. And if they wish, they can also um, click a uh, click a box, and they can then um, uh, see what they have written as well, but via email. And um, uh, this has been this has been. Um, replicated in many other counties thus far and it's it's really just it's, it's as a county wide um uh, as a county wide um, process um which been done in the offices of the Loud County Council and then once it's um after uh, several days the um uh, the book will be bounded and uh, will be binded rather and then will be um sent up to Donegal County Council. Mm. Um, with the expressions of sympathy from the citizens of uh, of Loud. And there will be uh, expressions from all over the country and indeed uh, from every corner of uh, the world, it seems. But uh, I don't think there can be too many because uh, it is obviously proving to act as a, a great support to people in Donegal. Yes, and like it's uh, such an awful tragedy that, that has occurred and um, uh, really, uh, really the uh, it is important that sympathy would be shown to the friends and family of all the deceased members um, of the public there in, in Donegal, and um, uh, just we we are in a in a small fashion we are standing together in solidarity with um, uh, with those uh, who have uh, who who are not, who are deceased, and um, uh, and as with the funerals that are just starting as of yesterday, um, it's just a small token to, to um, demonstrate that. Okay, so if people do want to express their sympathy, they can do it online through loudcoco.ie. That's correct, yes. Okay, thank you indeed, Connor, for joining us uh, this morning. I'm sure there'll be an awful lot of people interested in that and will welcome the opportunity to express their sympathy because I think we've all been so taken aback by the horrific events. Connor Keelan is a Fianna Fáil councillor and the Cahirlach of Louth County Council. Michael Reed on LMFM. The cost of heating homes is becoming unaffordable, certainly skyrocketing at this stage. The solution, they say, is retrofit your home. As referenced when we met with the committee in April, we are in unprecedented times and the National Retrofit uh, Plan is experiencing many of the same challenges facing the wider community or economy, namely inflation and supply chain constraints in terms of labour and materials. While anecdotal information suggests that the material supply chain constraints experienced immediately post-COVID-19 have eased in recent months, many suppliers are reporting difficulties in securing appropriate labour supply. 
Also, the significant levels of inflation reported for some building products related to retrofit is a cause for concern. SEA are acutely aware of the potential to further inflate specific markets by simply increasing grant levels and have therefore focused on attracting more, more contractors to participate on our schemes. Right, that's the Director of Research and Policy with uh, the SEAI, Margaret McCarthy, or Margie McCarthy, speaking to the Oireachtas Environment uh, Committee yesterday. Let's speak to a member of that committee, uh, Darren O'Rourke, a Sinn Féin TD from Mead East, and a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. It, it sounds as though the solution is retrofitting your home. If you can get your home retrofitted, how long is the waiting list at this stage? Well, the waiting list for the Better Energy Warmer Home Scheme, which is the um, the, the scheme for people who are living in or at risk of energy poverty, is, is 28 months. So it's in excess of, of two years. And actually, to make matters worse, that list is getting longer um, rather than shorter. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, at the start of this year, it, it was 24 months, but it's, it's got long, even longer. Um, and we know that, that the government had, had set itself targets, and Eamon Ryan uh, repeatedly said that those targets would be met, but it was apparent to everybody that was paying close attention that, that they weren't going to be met, and, and that's uh, very likely to be the case for, for, for this year. Um, so that's the, the Better Energy Warmer Home Scheme, which is which is 100% grant for people who are eligible. Obviously, there's a, a huge amount of people who aren't eligible. Um, the One Stop Shop Scheme is this scheme that was announced in February where, you know, you have to have money available yourself for these really deep retrofits. Um, there is grant support, there's grant support, but, but uh, you have to be in a position to access in the region of 25,000 or, as you heard, uh, the lady from the I say there that the costs are increasing. Inflation is happen- is hitting the sector to the region of seven or eight percent. So, you know, people are engaging. They're interested in retrofits, but for so many people, they're beyond them. Um, so, so that so that scheme, which was announced in great fanfare, has actually only delivered eighty nine retrofits uh, this this year, oh. um, which is a really small number. Right, uh, and the price has gone up uh, from twenty five thousand, uh, and you'll get twenty five thousand off. Uh, uh, the government, at least that was the idea, wasn't it? That it would be match funding, but that's gone up to uh, 26, 27, maybe 28,000 and might continue to increase. Will the government continue to match what you pay? No, well, no, that that doesn't seem to be the case. Oh, okay. um, what, what 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 they've pointed towards, and again, this is this is something that has been delayed, was mm. access to low interest loans. Um, they, they, they're in negotiations, as I understand it, with the the European Commission and the the uh, European Investment Bank in yeah. relation to that. But again, they said you that know, you'd be able to borrow money at about three percent or less. Mm, exactly. So. Yeah. So um, you know, it, it is a huge. So, so, so to be very clear, and I think it's it's apparent to to anybody who is engaging with this process, cost is a very significant barrier to okay. access. Okay, and there was good reason for it. Explained to us there that if you increase the grants, you could increase the cost of the work. But if you don't increase the grants, and the cost of the work increases anyway, you could be paying, let's say, twenty seven, twenty eight thousand to get twenty five off the government and if 
if the work has gone up in price by that much, that could see your portion go up to over 30,000 uh, in comparison to the government's uh, funding, which was 25 and will continue to be 25. Uh, absolutely. So, and, and, and there's a couple of things. And one of the, you know, it was quite an extensive engagement yesterday. Um, and one of the big criticisms, and I have to say it came from both government and opposition, which was interesting to hear because we've been quite, quite critical of, of the government's approach in relation to retrofitting and the government ha- haven't accepted it. But a number of spokespersons yesterday essentially sounded as if, as if they were speaking from an opposition perspective because what a number of commentators outside of the political system have said is there is huge opportunity for this winter to insulate uh, attics and walls. So shallow retrofits. Don't mind the you know the new heating system. Don't mind the the external skin on the on, on the wall, mm. which is very expensive and takes a long time. There are literally hundreds of thousands of homes in Ireland today that would benefit from um, low cost measures. Insulate the attic, insulate the walls, um, put in some some climate control monitors, and mm. um, then would really really benefit. Could deliver up to you know forty percent savings on on yeah, bills. New um, windows can transform a house for example exactly yeah. and, 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 and the point about that is and, and the SEI really didn't move on, on any of it and, and, I, and I'm saying so Sinn Féin have been calling I've been calling up for this since the, the outset of the scheme but also the Climate Change Advisory Council a number of the, the uh, poverty groups in Vincent mm. de Paul um, uh, Friends of the Earth others have said this is the low hanging fruit go and deliver this for, this for this winter it will make a significant difference the same in terms mm. of, of solar panels and what we see for each one of those schemes is you can't get windows on your individual grants. Um, the the eighty percent grant uh, is, you know, it doesn't go far enough for, for for many people. The level of bureaucracy that's in place. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
case. We, we heard it there yesterday. Some contractors that have engaged with these schemes literally for years are walking away from them now because the, the level of, of, of paperwork, uh, you know, the case is there where, you know, Mrs. Murphy would come and, and look for a grant and the mm. contractor would fill the form in on her behalf and deal with the mm. SAAI. That you, can't you, be you, done you, in you, the time You won't qualify for that 25,000 grant anyway, will you, if uh, you're heating your house with gas or oil or uh, electric uh, radiators? You, you need a heat pump, don't you? Well, well, and and again, that's a, that's a piece that they are looking at. But what what they will do is so so they'll come come out and conduct a, a, an assessment on your home, and they will say, well, what is what it will take to take it to a B two B exactly, yeah. and yeah. usually that means uh, an extensive uh, uh, retrofit to make your house airtight and to to put a heat pump system. And, and an awful and lot it, of homes. If, you, if you're going to have a heat pump, do you have to have underground heating. You don't. You don't necessarily, but the 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 house has to be airtight, and there has to be a very particular standards that have to be in place. And for for very many homes, that's where the cost. You know, if you you yeah. think of very many, you know, older homes or one-off houses in yeah. in, in the country, um, it, they are maybe E, F, and G rated. Yeah. To take them to a B two, um, to to seal them completely, to um, to retrofit them to the extent that you can put a heat pump in, um, just the cost mm. runs up, runs up, runs up, and that's where people are finding in the real world that when 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 their their interest is peaked and they follow through on it, that actually the cost becomes prohibitive uh, for them. And, and well, that's the cost—I take it—the cost is some. You know, in some cases, you're going to have to move out of the house for uh, a number of months, aren't you? Um, Absolutely, and the, and that's the, not the, covered. Yeah, that, yeah, that's not covered. And 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 so, so works. The, the grants are in the region of twenty-five thousand. Mm. Some people are coming back to me and saying, "Yeah, I was really interested in that." It, you know. Uh, we're at the right time of our lives, mm. or you know, um, it's something we would look to. And they're coming back with quotes in the region ninety thousand euros for for right. works that okay. they're that's a bit homes, You know, so it's yeah. just it's just right. completely off the table. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's your great grandchildren who might see savings in the energy bills if you were to spend that sort of money. Yeah, and, and that's why I want to go back to that point of really, and uh, and we we pushed the SAI on it yesterday. You know, like if this is a if this is about emissions reduction savings for the climate, if it's about reducing the bills for mm. for families, um, wh- why let the the perfect be the enemy of the good? There are, they they identified themselves that there are 162,000 homes that don't have even the the shallow retrofits mm. of. Uh, pumped walls or, or attic insulation well, surely you, they are the ones if you bring your B your rating up to a, a B2 uh, and you're heating your house with oil let's say uh, if you've managed to do it with a, an oil heating system you're going to use very little oil in comparison yeah, that, that's that's the that's the case. Um, of course, the objective here for for them, and, and again, you, you could say it's almost ideological because I know we've spoken to a number of people who say, like, surely you know you'd be better moving people from from oil to gas or to some blended uh, mm. mix of of, of fuel. Um, whereas the SEI are firmly of the opinion, unless you're going to a heat pump, um, they, they they they're really not supporting you. Um, that's that's that it's that or nothing that those are that's the the real savings to, to be made so, okay, so I, they've they, they, they've supported 89 households uh, they need to do thousands don't they well 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 this year and that's that's uh, like a, a, an important point they have they need to do in the region of 61,000 homes a year 
to be to okay. to be two standards. So it's so we're like we're in the realms of, yeah. of fantasy land. To be to be honest, um, I, I think you know the SEI have a program in their in their head and they're and they're working towards it. But I I, I believe that something's going to have to give here uh, if if they're to make any progress at all. Because like our criticism of this program has been that too many people have been excluded mm. in the middle. That it's too dependent on uh, people having money in their pocket. Very many people who have money in their pocket already live in more comfortable and warmer homes. Um, that's really what we should be focused on here is supporting people to do mm. the, the bit of work that they can do. The, the drafty old buildings, the drafty old buildings that people have lived in for years and uh, make them uh, energy efficient uh, in whatever way is exactly. possible and viable. And, what, and about li- those, what about those uh, better energy, warmer homes? Uh, or the homes that qualify for that scheme. You said it's a two-year wait. Uh, what's it involved in that? Yeah, so it's it's the same sort of approach, although they don't, you know, for very many of them, um, they don't take them up to a to a B2 standard. It's 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 a target for people who are at risk of energy poverty. And, and just to, to think of that again, we're not nearly making we're not making nearly enough progress in relation to those. Like surely those are the people that we should be doing very high numbers of. Um, we're going to miss our targets for this year. They they aim to do 4,800. They'll barely make 4,000, mm. which is as I said, the queue is getting longer. These are people, you know, they're pensioners, they're people on low incomes, they're people living in in cold homes, um, that there's a real benefit here, particularly this winter, to give them some support to to make their war- their, their homes warmer, to reduce their, their their bills. There's lots you can do in terms of of solar energy, in terms of uh, also in terms of of climate control devices. Really simple, low cost measures that c- could be done and rolled out at pace to support families. But instead, we have this massive bureaucracy that that uh, doesn't target the resource and there's a huge amount of money mm. going into this Michael it's 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 going to yeah. be 9 billion euros of taxpayers money by the end of the decade you know so I my real fear and I'll put it on the record yeah. my real fear is we look back on this and have uh, you know big inquiries as, as the public accounts committee and elsewhere and say did we get value for money did we lift people out of energy poverty or did we give a whole pile of people who already have money more money to, to give them more comfortable homes and, and that's my, my concern I wouldn't deny any mm. of this work to anybody but a, a tax Taxpayers' money needs to be directed to to areas of need. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you for joining us, Sinn Féin TD, for me, the East, Aaron O'Rourke, his party's spokesperson on climate change. Now, some comments. Marion Indrahada was listening with interest, she says, to the discussion about uh, the emergency departments and the plans for the winter ahead. She says, I've also been listening to your extensive coverage about the proposed closure of Navin's emergency department over the past while. As it happens, I had to attend the Lord's emergency department the day before last with my elderly mother who was referred there by her GP. The waiting room in the emergency department was absolutely packed. The staff were doing their best but it was so slow. It was 12 hours before my mother was seen by a doctor. When I was leaving the hospital in the early hours of the morning, the emergency department was just as busy as it was on the way in. I don't know how the staff do it. 
day in, day out. There's just not a, a enough staff on duty to cater for the numbers of, of uh, people who need to be cared for. There's no way that the Lords will be able to take the spillover from Navin if they go ahead and close the ED. Their patients' lives will be put at risk unless there's a major investment in place. Not only do they need a bigger ED, but they also need a greater number of staff, including doctors. Where is the joint-up thinking? Our health system is a shambles, she says. Well, thank you indeed, uh, Marion, for the call to the programme. Interesting, really. Interesting because uh, the Lourdes Hospital is one of the best-performing emergency departments in the country. Margaret in Navin was in touch with us saying, uh, can anybody say what happened to the site that was purchased for a new regional hospital in Navin? a few years ago. Noelle was in touch to say that she doesn't agree with me on a lot of things but on this occasion when it comes to keeping women safe she would agree completely. We don't want to see 200 extra Gardaí on the streets each month. She doesn't necessarily believe that extra Gardaí will generate a feeling of people uh, feeling safe uh, and secure when they're in public and she says that in recent years we've become accustomed to being told what we should do and think by various government departments. Noel believes however that the key to tackling the fear levels highlighted in this survey is by focusing on family and community and doing what we can to work together to create a safer environment for everyone. Uh, the community advocates could play a vital role in all of this. She says it's so important that we don't allow people to become afraid based on the actions of one individual. Martin says he wasn't one bit surprised to hear that one in five women are fearful of being attacked by a stranger in public. There have been so many high-profile cases of attacks on women in recent months and years, and some of the cases have been horrific, truly horrific, he says. Men can never fully understand or appreciate the level of apprehension that some women feel on a night out, and they never have to take the same measures to ensure that they get home safely. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, everybody who has been in touch with us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. One thing is uh, for sure, the cost of heating your house uh, and uh, turning on the lights is getting more and more expensive and uh, this week uh, a number of welfare increases uh, were tabled uh, for people to get uh, double payments and so on. Let's uh, speak uh, to Fine Gael TD for Loud and East Mead, Fergus O'Dowd. Uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Are you concerned that some people will be left behind? Well, we're very concerned, obviously, about people who need heat most, and that is older people, people who are sick, and people who live in accommodation that isn't very fuel efficient and so on. So, of course, everybody is concerned. And I, obviously, that's why the, these increases have been uh, are coming in, I think, from, you know, from the beginning of, of, of November. Uh, you have double child benefit payments. You have payments to, you know, fuel allowance. For, you know, you've got very significant income increases. Disability support, 514 to November. Uh, 400 fuel allowance, lump sum, 14 to November. 500 um, for working family payment, 200 for people living alone and so on. You have the care support grant, 21st of November. And there's a whole list of them, Michael. Mm, um, mm. Oh, I know. And people are very aware of them. And I'm sure an awful lot of people are are very uh, happy uh, and uh, 
you know, feel that they'll be able to get through the winter. But if you don't qualify for one of these uh, payments, uh, you could be in trouble. There's lots of pensioners, for example, who won't qualify for any of those payments. Uh, There's lots of unemployed people who won't uh, qualify for any of those payments. There's uh, lots of uh, low-paid people who won't qualify for any of those payments. Yeah, well, just just on that very point... uh Obviously, it is very true that you have to be getting the social welfare payment, the weekly payments to actually benefit from them. And you will be getting them on the double like you would get them also at Christmas. But every household in the country, uh, regardless of their income, in fact, will be getting the 600 energy credit. There'll be 200 before Christmas and there'll be 400 after Christmas. Mm. Uh, But clearly, clearly... uh, no government will be able to look after everybody, but we have to look after those who are weakest and those who need it most. And obviously, everybody on a social bar for a regular income uh, from January will be getting the, the 12 euros a week uh, increase. So there are significant benefits, yeah. and the people that are talking to me, you know, they're obviously worried and concerned. That's the first one, Michael. I agree absolutely with you. Uh, they are worried and they are concerned, uh, and they're watching every penny clearly. Uh, but at the same time, they appreciate that a significant effort has been made. Yeah. Now, the, the key unknown is what will the weather actually be like between now and Christmas or now and, say, the end of February. And obviously, if we have weather like we have up to now, it's been very mild, but it could turn very, very cold oh, very yeah, quickly. Well, so, we'll, all need so we don't know. And, uh, we'll all need the heat on, and we do know that yeah. the evenings will get dark and all of that. But uh, there was an interesting yeah. suggestion from... Jennifer Whitmore, Social Democrat TD, saying don't pay the €600 Euro energy credit to holiday homes. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, I think that's, that, that, that sounds really good. Uh, the problem is that a lot, of those, a lot of those holiday homes are actually rented. And if you listen, I'm not saying not too personally, but you look at the people, uh, Ukrainians, who are being offered holiday homes in, the Ukra- in, in Killarney right now. So holiday homes don't mean necessarily that they're vacant all the time uh, but the difficulty is, Michael, uh, how do you decide? Well, you'd get the 600 if Ukrainians were in it. No, but, yeah, but then it's not a holiday home, then you see. Yeah, but, uh, but she's talking about holiday homes. The, the point I'm trying to make is that, yeah. uh, and I don't disagree with the principle, yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, the difficulty is how would you run or identify that system? In other words, you'd have to have a separate register for holiday homes that were, that, you know, and how do you... Well, you have to register. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm sure if anybody... Sure. Uh, I'm sure if anybody uh, is uh, allowing uh, their homes to be used by Ukrainians, uh, maybe not yeah. the best way to put it. But, anybody, you, yes, yeah, but, but they're registering for that 400 euro payment. Uh, so, yeah. so, so, so that's one way of but, policing it. But, yeah, but uh, who's going to administer all that? You know, you have to get a list of all the holiday homes in the country. Then you have to check each one of them. Uh, and then you have to remove the benefit from them. And so on. So look, it's it's the, the bill still comes in, I presume, uh, you know, depending on the lease or the, the relationship between the person who's occupying yeah. that home. So like it's going to be very expensive. Okay. But the fact is the vast majority of people uh, aren't in holiday homes and the vast majority of people need this. And I think it's very important that they get it. Okay. And, I, and, and that's the problem, Michael. Uh, the principle is grand, but how do you organise it, basically? That's the problem. Have you been lobbied by any Catholics uh, to change Fine Gael policies and to stop pursuing these policies that are, are widening the gap between rich and poor, leaving poor people further behind? Because the bishops of Ireland have asked Catholics to do that. Um, well, 
Um, I'm by birth, I'm a Catholic myself, and I mean the bishops speak uh, very wisely and well on issues like that, and um, no, nobody disagrees with the principle that you look after those who are weakest most. And that's why well, the bishops seem to think Fine Gael does, that you have this well, policy... Uh, well, uh, I didn't, in fairness to the bishops, I haven't heard or passed or analysed your statement, but if any bishop wants to ring me, or any priest or anybody else, I will absolutely respectfully talk to them. Uh, but it's not about religion. It's not about person's religion. Mm. It's about their need. Okay, well, Bishop and Michael Reuter, I mean, this was a statement that was sure. issued on behalf of all of the bishops of, of Ireland. Course. Bishop Michael Reuter was on the programme telling us that, that the Fine Gael policy would be uh, to put money into the pockets of the better off and that would trickle down somehow to those who are, are less well off and, and that that is not the way to tackle this and that the... Uh, the, the the measures that are taken in, in Budget 23 are temporary measures and they will leave people behind and they will leave those on the lowest incomes behind and the poor will get poorer as a result of Fine Gael policies. What do you make of that? Well, I don't make much of it, to be honest. I think he obviously hasn't read the budget. He hasn't looked at all the increases. He hasn't... He, he, but look, I don't mm. want to personalise it. OK, but Social Justice but, Ireland would say yeah. the same. St Vincent de Paul well, would I say the same. I, 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 we, will never, we will never be in a position, Michael... Bernardo's uh, would say sure all the that other everybody's groups. looked after. What we can do is make sure that those who need help most. No, get but it. The, co- the concern is is that they're yeah. exactly the people who aren't getting it. It's those who need the most who have been left behind. But that that's not the case, Michael. I mean, we just haven't listed all the benefits that are available, and I haven't compared them to benefits in the north and how much higher some of them are here in the south or compared you, to what happens in other jurisdictions but I agree with the basic yeah, principle You didn't compare them to Sweden or Norway either I don't know why you're mentioning no, the no, board No, no, what I'm saying Michael what, what I'm just saying is I'm looking uh, the bishops operate north and south Sure, right? okay, yeah, yeah uh, okay. That's the point I'm making uh, but I've, I've no problem with that I mean we all agree with the same point the point is that mm. it's only people If the only way we create wealth and the only reason there is money in the kitty is because the government has a has a surplus from tax. Yeah. And we have more people working than ever before. And the bishop obviously knows that. So the income tax comes in and then it's spread out fairly. It is believed, and I think it's generally accepted internationally, that the Irish tax system is one of the fairest in the world. I think it's in the top three. And uh, so that's that's something the bishop may or may, or may not have talked about. Okay. But I need to. I'm happy to talk to him. And I'm happy to debate him there with him. As okay, well. we'll ask him. We'll, we'll ask him to do ask that. Him, yeah. yeah, we'll ask him to do that. Well, well, I, I think yeah. the people are talking to me. They're neither bishops nor priests at the okay. moment. Are you talking so to? Fi- are you talking to the? Fi- are you talking to the Fianna Fáil uh, members of uh, the Oireachtas uh, because uh, they're delighted with themselves. They think they put manners on Fine Gael uh, and Pascal Donoghue uh, and this concrete levy that Pascal Donoghue was responsible for, we heard this morning from a Fianna Fáil senator, uh, is about to be dropped uh, and that Pascal Donoghue and Fine Gael didn't take into account the severe market distortion that the concrete levy was going to uh, bring with it. Uh, and Fianna Fáil has... Uh, tackled it head on and forced Fine Gael to do the right thing it's dead in the water apparently Well I mean that's the song they can sing and I'm sure they can sing whatever they like uh, the fact is that uh, notwithstanding my views uh, I won't give you my personal views what that guy said but what I am saying is the government is working 
the budget is working. Uh, there are more people working than ever before. Our society is facing huge tasks and hopping off each other in government uh, might suit that gentleman. Well, was there an agreement there? The, the people the woman, or whatever yeah, yeah. he is. Uh, well, really woman, is important, uh, Michael, uh, is that we all work together and I think mm. the government is working. We have our significant... Well, that's it. I mean, it's, a, it's a woman we're talking about, Fianna Fáil Senator Erin oh, uh, uh, McGreen uh, was uh, saying... Oh, yeah, uh, sorry, from County Loud. Yeah, I know Erin well, of course of I do. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. She was yeah. saying Fianna Gael made an awful mistake. Uh, Fianna Fáil is uh, showing them the error of their ways uh, and has well, made forced a situation yeah. now which will bring about an end to this concrete levy. What do you make of that? Well, I, I didn't hear her, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but... Uh, you know, there are different views on it. The point is that the taxpayer has been asked to fund uh, the problem with the MICA in, in mm. Donegal and the taxpayers come up with two billion or more. Mm. And I don't think it's unreasonable uh, for the industry to pay some of that money back to the you, taxpayer. You haven't heard uh, that the levies dropped? I've, I've I've heard that there was a meeting about it. Yeah, uh, the, I'm not worried about that so much, Michael. Okay. But I think I think that the industry must contribute to the taxpayer for the damage they undoubtedly and absolutely caused. That's absolute with me. Uh, how you do that is a different thing. Mm. And you know, I, I, you know, that's what happened with Fianna Fáil. Happened. It's it's a it's a very important issue. Uh, but the key point is that the industry pays up. Because why should the taxpayer responsible for everything, everything that they did? And Fianna Fáil's relationship with the with the building industry is well known in the past, and oh. in fact, one of the reasons one of the reasons the economy of this country uh, collapsed was because of that relationship. Because of your partners in government at that time, yes, absolutely. <laughs> because we all remember the, the economic shock, the crash. The, mm. The IMF are not in the country. Oh, I know. I know. It's, it's, it's just, it's just very, it's just very interesting to to <laughs> sit through a, a program. It's a long time since we've sat through a program to hear one Fianna Fáil representative having a pop at Fine Gael, only to be responded yeah. to by a Fine Gael rep having a pop at Fianna Fáil. Well, why not? Is I it mean, a sign of things so, to come? You know, yeah, not, we, 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 people are entitled to their views. And my key point is that is that both parties are working well in government, and clearly, <laughs> and clearly, and clearly, they are. Yeah, uh, but and you're keeping an eye on them age. to make sure that they don't ruin the country again. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it in one. I have to leave it there, Fergus. I'm out of okay, time, Mike, but thank you, Dave. And we'll ask Bishop Rutter to come on uh, and discuss uh, Please, the yeah, budget with yeah, you. Yeah, I need yeah. a copy of his speech. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. we'll do that, of course. Thank okay, much. thank you indeed. Uh, that's uh, Finnegan TD for Louth and East Meath, Fergus O'Dowd. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. The Mayor of Killarney, Councillor Niall Kelleher, and myself met with a number of Ukrainian refugees and stakeholders from the community in Killarney in relation to the outrageous proposal to relocate 135 Ukrainian refugee, refugees, mainly women and children from Killarney to Westport in County Mayo with 48 hours' notice. These people have been living in Killarney for the last seven months, have put down roots, the children have started school, the women are working in local businesses, they've been set up with their local GPs, and now with 48 hours' notice, they're being uprooted and being sent to Mayo. This is completely unacceptable, and I am calling Minister on you to make 
the proper decision here. This is not humane. And if we are treating this uh, emergency as a humanitarian response, there has to be humanity at the, at the centre of this. I'm asking for you to look at the alternative accommodation, to think, Killarney, if these people must be moved and avoid this appalling, appalling situation that is facing these people. Could anybody disagree with Fine Gael's uh, Brendan Griffin raising that issue in uh, the Dáil? Yes, they unacceptably, he said, but inexplicable because the 135 refugees were being moved out of Hotel Killarney because of 200 asylum seekers being bussed to live in Killarney from City West. Where's the sense in it, you would have to ask? Well... Uh, let's uh, talk uh, to John Lannan, who's uh, the CEO of Duras. A very good morning to you, John, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. You join us as news is coming through to us of uh, an agreement between the Minister for Education and uh, a local TD in County Kerry, Norma Foley, and uh, Roderick O'Gorman, uh, the minister uh, who has responsibility for refugees. And apparently uh, the 135 people who were to be moved with just 48 hours notice are not now going to have to go to Westport and they will be able to stay in alternative accommodation in Killarney. Absolutely, yes. Good good news coming through. We hope there's good news for the asylum seekers as well and that they don't end up in tents somewhere in, in Ireland. Um, th- this is um, inexplicable, as you say, but it's not the first time that, that it's happened. Um, the end of September, in Leash, 15 Ukrainian families were also given less than two days' notice to vacate the homes that they had made there over the previous six months. And these types of situations are arising um, as a result of an over-reliance on temporary and emergency accommodation for people who have arrived from Ukraine and for asylum seekers. Um, mm. We, we need to continue to, to um, uphold our legal and our moral obligations to, to provide sanctuary and protection for people. But we need to do more and we need to learn from these types of occurrences and ensuring that um, this type of thing doesn't continue to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd have to ask yourself, is the right hand uh, talking to the left hand? Uh, because uh, it's all well and good for somebody in City West saying uh, we'll move people down to Killarney without checking what that means in Killarney, if that means uprooting people who've been there and have made lives for themselves over the past six months. Absolutely, yes. And, um, you know, the, the suddenness of the move was, that, that was planned by the department is, is really concerning, you know, giving people hours to pack, basically, to move, start their lives again. Um, lessons weren't learned from what happened in Leash. Um, this sort of thing isn't just disruptive. It can be devastating. It can be re-traumatising um, for, for people, um, you know, mm. who have established some form of normality in their lives. Um, and for children in particular, yeah. this sort of move is really problematic. What was it, 25 you know, children in school? Yeah, Something it, like it that. It was, I believe, yeah. 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 And, and this... This this would disrupt their education, and we know from lots yeah. of studies that have been done that education provides structure, and it's not just structure for the children; it's for the entire family unit. Yeah. Uh, and the so. biggest part of their education for a lot of these children is language. Uh, uh, and if you're at a, a certain level and then go to a completely different place with completely different people at a different level, uh, that can just set you backwards. Absolutely, it can. Yeah, and and adults as well were mm. also working in some cases in. Um, 
to learn. They yeah. were learning English as, as the children were. They'd made friends. They, they were um, getting some degree of stability in their lives after what has happened mm. um, and, and their need to to get, get to safety in Ireland. Um, and, and, and the lack of consultation and engagement yeah. for people. You know, some people mm. might have been happy to move but there was no consultation with the people that were involved. And, and we have to bear in mind that people who seek protection here, whether they're from Ukraine or for, they're from another war zone, they're likely to have been traumatised by their experiences. Yeah, if there's one good thing about it, it's how upset people in Killarney were and didn't want it to happen. They were going to protest about it and they were annoyed at how this was uh, being done uh, to people who they'd welcomed into their community. But when you talk about Ukrainian people working in Killarney, uh, that's one thing. Somebody is employing them. Uh, and if they've moved to Westport with little or no notice, that means from the employer's point of view, uh, they're, they're, they're walking out of the job without any notice. And it's that kind of thing that can lead to resentment. Yeah, there, there, there are costs and there are impacts all around. You know, it's... Um Difficult for it would be difficult for asylum seekers who arrived into a situation which others had been displaced from, others whom the community wanted to continue to provide homes and accommodation for. Um, it, it, it is, you know, we, we acknowledge that the Department of Children have a huge challenge when it comes mm. to finding accommodation now for, for over 50,000 people. Yeah. And that would include Ukrainians and, mm. and increased numbers of people from other parts of the world. And it's understandable that they would have been in crisis response mode mm. for, for quite a period of time. But we're now seven months into the war. We're coming into the winter and the accommodation situation is not improving. And, and, and the war is getting worse. Um, you'd expect more people to come given what we've seen in Kiev this week uh, and in uh, the west of Ukraine for that matter. It seems as though there isn't a, a corner of the country that is safe at this stage. It's a dreadful, dreadful situation. Uh, 55,000 people, more than that, I think, uh, at the end of last month. Uh, and if the Russians continue to attack in the way that they are, you can expect more people to leave uh, and look for asylum and refuge, I take it, John. In, indeed. And, you know, the European Union has um, recognised the ongoing situation in Ukraine now by extending the temporary protection directive for another year, in other words, up to March 2024. So we know that people will not be able to return back to Ukraine. At the moment, as you say, it's very worrying for people who are here when they see what's happening and they know that family members, partners and so on are still back there and at grave risk. So we've got to now ensure that we you know, we, we plan this properly and, and that we, we put the necessary resources in place to ensure that we can provide adequate accommodation for people. You know, we, we need a coordinated effort to get us through the winter. Um, we need people right across departments, local authorities, working together, planning strategically, ensuring that standards are maintained in the accommodation centres and um, that that the people who are most important in all of this, the people at the, the centre of the wars and the persecutions that they've had to flee from, are 
are treated with dignity and respect yeah, at all at all times and absolutely. provided with the necessary accommodation and yeah, that they Absolutely. Yeah, I think everybody has been very taken aback and I'm sure everybody will welcome to know it's worth repeating uh, that uh, those uh, people in Killarney, the 135 Ukrainians who'd been told to move to Westport, will now be able to stay in Killarney. They'll have to move somewhere else, but they'll be able to stay in Killarney. Uh, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, and uh, the Children's Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, have reached some uh, agreement which is going to allow for that. Uh, but we leave it there for the moment, John. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, and as uh, the winter goes on, we hope that uh, we won't be asking you back on to talk about similar stories, as you say, uh, it's a repeat of what happened to Unleash. John Lannan is uh, the CEO of Duras. Now, some more comments coming to us. Mick in touch saying he was listening to the discussion about the attacks on women and he feels that the system for Gardaí patrolling streets could be improved. You never see a Garda stepping out on his own on the beat, probably for their own safety, but what about the safety of the rest of us, the safety of women? Gardaí are usually there after an incident occurs. In olden times, you could meet a Garda on his own in any place. You'd see them in the centre of towns, near public houses, near dance halls. There just isn't enough surprise intervention these days and the Gardaí always has his radio if he needs support. There needs to be a bigger visible Garda presence. Thank you indeed for that. Uh, another call to us from John in Avon who says he can't understand why every day on every station you hear nothing only about the price of electricity and the price of fuel. We're in a, a war situation. Everyone knows what's going on and it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Where do people think the money is going to come from to compensate everyone? We were in war times before where people had absolutely nothing and there's millions of people starving in this world. Look at what's happening in the Horn of Africa. We're still here complaining though and I think Ireland has become a nation of moaners and complainers says John in Navin. Thank you for your call and lending us note. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Shannon is calling on Iran to abide by international law to stop violent crackdowns on protests and to clarify the number of people who have been uh, arrested and uh, have been re- released, uh, for that matter, from all non-violent protests and provide due process for all detainees, as well as the number of people who have died uh, who had been protesting in Iran. This is adding to the concern that is being very strongly voiced around the world about Iran's guidance patrol, its religious morality police, the insistence of women wearing the hijab, uh, and indeed uh, the death of 22-year-old Masha Amini. Let's uh, speak to Lisa Chambers, Fianna Fáil Senator, who brought this motion to the Senate. A a very good morning to you, Lisa Chambers, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Does this motion uh, or or this call from Shannon Aaron hold any weight, do you think, with Iranian authorities? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that, you know, our Oireachtas, our National Parliament debates these issues. So last night in the Senate, a, a motion that I drafted and tabled uh, on behalf of the Fianna Fáil party was debated. It was supported by every party and independents and it was supported by the government as well. So you rightly outlined what, we, what we've sought in that motion. We wanted to call on the Iranian government to investigate properly and openly the death of Massa Amini, the 22-year-old that you mentioned who lost her life. She died in custody. Uh, after being arrested by the morality police for not wearing her headscarf. Um, We want to see an end to the use of what is very violent and lethal force against peaceful protesters. 
Um, and we want the Iranian government to be honest and transparent about the number of people that have lost their lives in the, the protests that have been ongoing now for three to four weeks um, that have been extremely violent. And it's not just young girls and women. There are men taken to the streets as well to try and mm. push for um, yeah, equality for women and a basically a very basic right that they should be able to, to dress as they want and not wear the headscarf if they don't want to. Well, um, I think women are... A significant increase in terms of the force being used by the morality brief. They've been basically told by the Iranian government to get tougher and to step up uh, the force that they're using. So yeah. it's um, it's just a deadly place to be for women and young girls at the minute. But it always has been, though, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, women well, are... actually, it, no. <laughs> that's, oh? the, that's the interesting thing, that if you go back to Iran in the early 70s and the 60s, they were very, you know, if you look at pictures in that period, women back then were wearing very fashionable clothes. They would have been going around in, you know, mini skirts. They weren't wearing headdress. It was in 1979 when the Shah fell and the morality police came into being in the early 80s. Since that period, it's become really strict and really conservative. So they were actually a more, a more liberal country than Ireland was back in the early 70s. Um, so it's been the last four decades that they've, they, so they, they went from having all of these rights and all of these freedoms uh, to having them taken away, which is, so there are women living there today that, you know, had lots of freedoms and rights uh, and had them taken away from them and they can remember that. So, mm. you know, it has changed. It wasn't always that way, but it has been since 1979. Okay. Didn't know that, uh, to be honest. Uh, but uh, it's not a, a place uh, that any woman uh, could feel equal in, is it? No, I mean, they've got really unusual. I mean, an Iranian woman has to have a male guardian. So if you're not married yet, um, your father is your guardian. So you can't leave the country to travel without the permission of your guardian. We've had women at the airport in Iran uh, that may have had their permission revoked and won't be allowed to board a plane. Uh, child marriage is still very much part of Iranian culture. So oh, I think last year was something in the region, 30,000 uh, young girls between the ages of 10 and 14 were married. Uh, even though the age is meant to be 13, it used to be 10, it was increased to 13. So really, really significant human rights abuses of young girls happening in, in Iran all of the time. Mm. And at the same time, you know, Iran is still part of the global community. Our Minister for Foreign Affairs had a bilateral meeting with their Minister for Foreign Affairs um, in at the UN Assembly in New York. I think it was nearly two weeks ago now, a week and a half ago, where Simon Coveney again last night and during the debate, he took the debate last night. He made it very clear that Ireland was not happy with what Iran were doing to women. He very, very clearly asked the Iranian minister to stop the use of force against peaceful protesters and they want full equality for women in, in Iran. Um, you know, unfortunately, Iran, you know, is still mm. getting away with this. They have sanctions placed upon them, but mainly because of the Iran nuclear deal as opposed to their violations of women's rights. Mm. Um, but there are some Chil- EU sanctions chi- chi- on Iran as chi- well. Children's rights, uh, these child brides uh, uh, that you describe, uh, I mean, that's state-sanctioned child abuse. That's how I would view it, absolutely. Um, you know, that's, that's their culture. I think it's abhorrent. Um, mm. You're robbing a young child of her life, of her teenage years, uh, and they have to grow up very, very quickly. And we know they're, they're, not only are there psychological issues that come with marrying so young, there are very serious physical issues as well that come from having a relationship at that mm. age. So it is, it is uh, you know, an Amnesty you, International yeah. have looked at Iran and they've very clearly documented what they see as clear human rights abuses in terms of, you know, essentially beating uh, and killing peaceful protesters um, because yeah. they're trying to, to rise up against their government. So are, it is. You, are you encouraged by this uh, global wave of protest? Uh, we're seeing uh, a lot of women take this very drastic action of cutting their hair and so on, but they're making very strong statements in, in uh, so many different parts of the world. 
I am, and I, I hope that it, you know, I mean, these actions that we're taking, you know, we had a motion last night in a debate in the Shannon last night, and we did that from the comfort of a Western liberal democracy where we enjoy all of those rights that women in Iran don't have. So, you know, I'm just... I hope that it provides some comfort and some solace to the women of Iran that we, we see their plight, we see what's happening, we don't condone it, we condemn it strongly and we've asked our government to do what they can. You know, Ireland has a seat on the UN Security Council. We punch well above our weight on the international stage. We have a voice at an EU level. So there are things that we can do. Um, but what we don't want to do is take steps that would make things worse. So one of the contributions in the debate last night from one of the senators, Senator Lin was to not impose sanctions that will actually harm Iranian people, very ordinary Iranian people. So it's trying to find that right balance. But I do think that, you know, any country on the international stage, they don't want to be left out in the cold. They don't want to be seen as a pariah in the international community. So when you have countries coming together condemning the actions of the government, it does have an impact. Yeah. Um, and it is important that we call it out for what it is and let them know yeah. that we see and we see what they're doing and we won't forget it. And I think you speak for most of us, to be honest with you. Thank you indeed for doing so and for joining us uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers, that's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.